A reading from the book of Jeremiah. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who shepherded my people, it is you who have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. So I will attend to you for your evil doings, says the Lord. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the lands where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will raise up shepherds over them who will shepherd them, and they shall not fear any longer or be dismayed, nor shall any be missing, says the Lord. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. The word of the Lord. Thanks be God. Today we're going to read Canticle 16, and it's on page 92. And we're all going to say it together. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. He has come to his people and set them free. He has raised up for us a mighty Savior, born of the house of his servant David. Through his holy prophets, he promised of old that he would save us from our sins, from the hands of all who hate us. He promised to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. This was the oath he swore to our father Abraham to set us free from the hands of our enemies, free to worship him without fear, holy and righteous in his sight all the days of our life. You, my child, shall be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give his people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us to shine on those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. Colossians, right, Jim? Okay. The second reading is from the letter of Paul to the Colossians, chapter 1, verses 11 through 20. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father 
who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of the cross. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing and they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching. But the leader scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There is also an inscription over him, This is the King of the Jews. One of the criminals who was hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord of 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> so the last time I was here was two months ago, and there was only four of us. Um, but as might be a little bit hard to see, but there is a baby in there, I promise. <laughs> um, <laughs> It is good to be back with everyone. If there is um, one thing that I have been regularly reminded of over these past eight weeks, um, parenting a newborn, you're not in control. (laughs) You know, everything revolves around what the baby wants. She is going to sleep when she wants and not a moment before. She's going to wake back up when she wants. She's going to time that diaper blowout when it suits you, not her. She wants to eat on her timeline, and if you don't follow her timeline, she will most certainly let you know. Um, As my older boys have noticed, she cries a lot. She doesn't care what time it is or what else is going on. She is going to let you know when she is upset. So a lot of parenting involves accepting that you are not in control. There are certainly things that you can and should be doing. But once you've gone through that baby checklist, has she been fed? Has she been burped? Has her diaper been changed? Is she tired yet or is she looking for a little more wake time? Once, once you get through that checklist, there's not a whole lot that you can do. All you can do is hold her, bounce her, Wait for what seems like forever for her to actually fall asleep. She has to be the one who decides to close her eyes, to let her body calm down. Some of you might have seen the pictures where she's sleeping in my arms. It's a little bit harder to capture in a photo, mostly because both my hands are busy. It's all the time that's spent trying to encourage that baby to stop crying and screaming and just relax and get the sleep that she needs. Lydia was in control, and the cute sleeping face only came out when she was ready for it. But I'm not just going to tell you stories about Lydia right now. I do want to talk about our readings for this morning, which lay out the story of Christ the King. Our first reading comes centuries before Christ, when the prophet Jeremiah tells us about the king who was promised to a people who were scattered, defeated, and without hope. Their shepherds had not taken care of them. Their leaders were more interested in how they could exploit the people for their own purposes. But God spoke through Jeremiah to let them know that that wasn't the final word. God was going to raise up someone to take care of God's people, a king who would reign with justice and righteousness, someone who would treat people equitably, who would use the power of being king to protect and take care of the people. And then the Gospel of Luke tells us about this king and how he was treated when he did arrive. Crucified, executed on a cross by the spiritual successors to the shepherds who had been destroying God's people. Centuries passed between Jeremiah's writings and the life of Jesus, 
but the fact of the powerful taking advantage of the people for whom they should be caring for, that had not changed. But even in the midst of that, we see Jesus offering forgiveness to those who were killing him and turning one man's sentence of condemnation into a promise of entry into a new kingdom. Jesus shows what the justice and righteousness that Jeremiah spoke of looks like in action. And Jesus' death, of course, is not the final word. In Colossians, Paul describes how that entry into a new kingdom that that condemned man received. It's not just something that happens at the point of death. It is something that happens now. Jesus has rescued us, has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Christ, who created all things, is over and above all things, is the final authority in all of creation. That has already taken place. The story that we get from these readings is that God is in control. God had a purpose announced by the prophet Jeremiah. God accomplished that purpose in perhaps the least expected way, bringing about peace through the blood of the cross. And God is still carrying out that purpose, inviting more and more people to take part in that kingdom right now. But if God is in control, then that means, much like the parents of a newborn, we are not. And the question for us becomes, can we accept that we are not in control? I'll speak for myself. I want to be in charge. I want to say, if I do everything right, I will get the right result. That I will take on that responsibility because then I will get the right thing every time if I'm the one that's in control. But that's not a healthy place to be in. If you parent from that place, all you're going to end up with is frustration and disappointment. It becomes constant effort with no rest. Constantly trying to do things, constantly trying to make things happen without recognizing that you're not the one who's actually in control here. That is not the place where good parenting happens. And it's not a place where good Christianing, good Christian discipleship happens either. We do not follow Christ well when we think that it is a system where if we do the right things, we will get the right results. That's a system where we're in control and it's our behaviors and our actions that determine what the outcomes will be. And that's not healthy for us. Uh, I, it's a timely reminder um, because I think of this particularly with the, we all just lived through most of a midterm election. Still, <laughs> most of, we still have, we still have one more runoff still to come. Um, and thanks to a certain someone, um, we are already heading straight into the next presidential election cycle. And I think that this is a place this happens a lot of places in our culture, but I think the political scene is where it becomes perhaps most obvious. Because we're constantly bombarded with the message that we are in control. It's up to us. It's our votes, our money, our time. Those will determine what happens. And the stakes, if you believe the ads, it's not simply about what's going to happen in one election. They're about stopping the coming apocalypse. 
if you don't rush that donation to this politician's office right now, they are going to lose the election and the world is going to end. That's what we're always being told. And the thing is, the political system, like a lot of other systems, wants to control us. So what tells us that if we just give the system a little bit more, if we get two more senators, we will solve all of the world's problems. And we are, we are two senators away from solving decades of disastrous consequences for our environment. Two more senators, one more check, one more runoff election. If we can just take control of the House, we can fix every single problem that we haven't fixed in decades. If we just do that one more thing, we'll finally get the results we want and everything will be well. And slowly but surely, we discover the irony of this message. Because if we try to take control, if we think that we're the ones that are in charge, then we will just keep doing it. And as we do exactly what we're being prompted to do, we are the ones that are being controlled. Good parenting comes when we are able to commit ourselves to loving our children no matter what. It comes when we are faithful to doing what we are called to do for them, to take care of them, to be present for them. And it comes from accepting that the rest is not within our power. And I would say that good Christian discipleship comes from exactly the same place. When we commit that we are going to demonstrate Christ's love, that we are going to love people in the world that we are in, in the neighborhoods that we are in, in the same way that Christ did, and we commit ourselves that we are going to be faithful to doing the things that we can do, and then we accept that Christ the King is in control of the rest and allow that we are not in charge of the outcomes, and accept that our love and our faithfulness is all that we need to do, that is all that we are being asked for, it's in that place that we can do good discipleship. We are not going to take over the world and fix it, which is good, because I promise you, none of us can. But, I think we have something much more valuable to offer than that. Because if we can show love and faithfulness, that is the witness to what Christ's kingdom actually looks like. It's not a place where we're in charge. It's not a place where we hold the power. It's a place where no matter what, you're going to be loved. It's a place where no matter what, everyone is going to be faithful to what Christ has called them to. It is a community where we are all invited to come to the table and share with one another. That's honestly a lot better than anything else we have on offer. And that's the table that I want to invite you all to today. That when we accept Christ the King, 
as being the one in control. What that means for us is to then come up and participate and be a part of the body that Christ brought together by making that peace on the cross. I invite you to receive that and to be a part of that witness to the love and the faithfulness and the rest that comes with being a part of that kingdom. Amen.